and he was talking for I knew it And as he grew, he'd say, I'm gonna be like you, Dad You know I'm gonna be like you And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon Little boy blue and the man on the moon When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when But we'll get together then You are a meathead <laughs> versus the 80s, my fellow babies. And if you ever wore bell-bottom jeans, Chuck Norris action jeans, or acid wash jeans, then this is a podcast for you. Hello, everybody. This is Wolfman Mike on the mic, and I can talk 70s all night. I can talk 80s all night. I can talk the evolution of jeans all night. And as always, please remember to wash your hands after you wipe. And, of course, I am joined by the man whose name rhymes with funky rock, it's Spunky Comstock, Brian, Bry Guy, no fries on the side guy. And you have joined us for a very big show today, folks. Can you believe it is 2024 already? So in honor of that, we're going to do a pop culture war, a little 1974 versus 1984, 50 years ago against 40 years ago. Can you believe it? So today we're going to be starting out with the battle of the music. So let's get into it. But first, we're going to start out with our new little celebrity game we have called Forever Young. So, Brian, uh, you know, back, we always talk 70s and 80s. It's crazy when you go back and look at the list of how old the actors and actors were in those days. You, they, they always seemed a lot older than they actually were, and now they're all younger than us. So, um, so this is a new game I was going to call, just like the song says, Forever Young. Their age for a certain... I'm, for me, I'm going from season one of the show, and then uh, we see who gets closer. So, perfect, pretty easy. Okay, so I'm pretty gonna, easy. So you give me your person first. Who who do you have? All right. So uh, we just got done talking, or we just got done talking about. We're going to be talking about uh, 1974 TV season and a show that debuted in 1974 was The Rockford Files, and the lead was James Gardner. So in 1974, when the Rockford Files would have debuted, how old was Jim or uh, James Gardner? Jim Gardner, James Gardner. Oh man, that's a tough one because he seemed when I was young, he just seemed so not old, but he seemed like an older dude, and I'm sure he's not that old. So in '74, man, I bet you he seems. That's a good one because I bet you he seems a lot older than he was. I'm gonna say he was 34. Mike, valiant effort, but you are incorrect. 
he was 46 when the Rockford Files would have debuted on TV in 1974. Uh, James Garner having been born April 7th of 1928. I got to be 12. You got me. So you got a big cushion here. So for mine, I'm going with the uh, Jason Alexander, who played George on the first season, 1989, of Seinfeld. How old was Jason Alexander, who played George Costanza? George Costanza. In 1989, the actor, he looked like he was in his early 40s, at least, you know, when he was in the soup episodes and stuff like that. That might have been a little bit later. And, of course, he's wanting to eat soup. He's got to be into his 40s. Um, I'm going to guess that he was 37 years old. He was, you get, you, you're way off, but you're closer than me. He was 29 years old in season one. Of- 29? He didn't look a day over 40, so I guess he's He was 29. bald, and, I, and he was in, what, uh, Pretty Woman, like two years later, or he was supposed to be a contemporary with Richard Gere. Or I, I think he was almost supposed to be older than Richard Gere, who was like 41 or something. Yeah, he was that, that salesperson in the... Yeah, he played the lechous. Yeah. He was he played the yucky lechous guy, and yeah, he was like... He was only like 30 or 31 in that role, so... um, <laughs> Yeah, so he was 29 in the first year of Seinfeld. Yeah, he had that Charlie Brown hairstyle. Yep. So we were both we were both way off. So I guess we, that means we both made good choice or picked good people. This is yeah. a good game. We'll have to think of a name for it. Well, Brian, I'm thinking of calling it "Forever Young" after this song by Alpha Bell from 1984. And speaking of that, let's get into it right now. 1974 songs versus 1984 songs. Let's take a kind of a year in review, year preview, since we're getting close to 2024 of uh, 1974 and 1984, uh, kind of in the music world. Let's change it up this time. Let's start with uh, 1984, and then we'll, we'll, we'll do 1974 second. So when you think of music and the year 1984, both now looking back at it, 40 coming up at 40 years later, but also your memories uh, the first time through when we were... Uh, teenagers in 1984 uh what what songs stood out to you and what did you think about the general uh state of music in 1984 that's a great question we always make fun on here how the 70s always beat the 80s when we could do these comparisons but not 1984 when it comes to music 1984 i don't know if it was the greatest year in music um it's kind of considered the greatest year in pop culture of music i know there's some big years in the 60s and stuff that we don't remember but 1984, what I think about is the big commercial albums. I mean, you had Like a Virgin, which was Madonna's biggest commercial. You had Purple Rain, which was Prince's biggest commercial. You had Born in the USA, Springsteen's biggest commercial album. You know, I don't know if these are their best albums with the biggest commercial. Van Halen, of course, had 1984. I guess what I think about 1984, and then, you know, Thriller came out in 1983, so the radio was played that for two years straight. So... I think of the radio just being jam-packed, where it's like a lot of great songs didn't couldn't find room because there's just so much music in 1984. Um, you know, we, I played that Alphaville song, uh, Forever Young, for our little... That that song I didn't even know in 1984. I discovered it later. There just wasn't enough room for these for a lot of songs. There was just so much, so much music in 84. I think it is probably the greatest pop culture year for music in our lifetimes. I mean, I know 92 was big with the grunge scene, 
Um, so that's what I think. What, what do you think, Brian? Well, for me, um, we had just entered high school, or I think around this time, right? And so you ended up having, you're expanding your friends group and, you know, in a much bigger school. Uh, for me, being someone who wasn't as up on the, the, the cutting edge stuff and all the albums you just listened, um, I was kind of in my my rebel country stage at that time where I'd been listening to like Hank Williams Jr.'s All My Rowdy Friends came out that year. Um, I know Willie Nelson did a duet with, uh, I think it was Julio Iglesias with All the Girls I Loved Before. So I was getting into into those songs. And I was also at that time going backwards and and rediscovering these early 70s and late 60s Thing. So I found a group of friends then that were into that, the, the, the Waylon Jennings and the Willie Nelsons, David Allen Coe's in high school because now you had more people to be friends with. So I kind of, you're the expert now on the 80s stuff or, or my darling wife um, because when we won, were doing uh, Christmas cookies together and I was playing just Christmas songs including there's Willie Nelson's songs, there's a Bob Dylan Christmas album, playing stuff like that and she's like, no, we got to play 80s rock and it started out with a few of those songs from a few of those albums you mentioned uh although because she's using the spotify playlist the first time we put up 80s 80s rock uh, the first song was a greg allman song (laughs) so yeah i'm just looking i got the billboard top 100 open in front of me from 1984 and all those things i mentioned i mean it's so much more there was lionel richie came out with his all night long was the song. I think. It was, did we decide that was called "Dancing on the Ceiling" or is that "All Night I think Long"? Dancing on the Ceiling, and it was a fantastic album, front to back. Yeah, it won a bunch of rewards that year. Cindy Lauper came out with "Girls Just Want to Have Fun." That album, that was the biggest one of her career. And I mean, I see it's coming in at only number seventeen. Lionel Richie was only coming in at number twelve, or at least. The, oh no, I guess he's got number seven. He's got "Hello." So I mean, he was all over the charts. Karma Chameleon by Culture Club. I think this was the big year from Boy George at Culture Club. I mean, there's just, it's too much to mention. There's Laura Branigan was in there, um, the Pointer Sisters. Duran Duran had the reflex. Uh, I mean, there that, been a, it, a band called Banana Rama that would have been big at that time in 84. I think I remember that from freshman year of high school. Because I, Karate Kid came out in 84 and they had their song. Cruel Summer was on, was on that movie, so they were a big deal in '84. That's a good point there, Brian. So, um, yeah, and then Prince is all over that. Uh, Springsteen was all over that year with his commercial success. Uh, Billy Billy Idol had Eyes Without a Face. So, I mean, a lot of these groups had their biggest their biggest songs in 1984. And I, I just put together five songs here. I mean, there's too many to pick from. I just put five that that mean a lot to me. You know, a lot of them I already talked about. I got Purple Rain, uh, you know, growing up in Minneapolis that that year, 84. We'll have to do a story on uh, the music from 84. That was when all the biggest, the replacements, um, Husker Du and and Prince. And Prince was kind of commercially successful where those other two were kind of garage band. And a lot of people don't know the replacements or Husker Du. I'm like... And they want to know what it, if you want to know what it sounds like, listen to early '90s grunge because it 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 really it wasn't popular. It didn't hit commercial wise, but then it's like all the '90s groups, Kurt Cobain and all the Seattle groups started handing out those records. I swear to God, the replacements and stuff because they just reiterated it with the ni- early '90s grunge is a, is what kind of what it sounded like. So I had Purple Rain, which was a big commercial hit. 
um, the the song wasn't very commercial. It was like seven minutes long. I don't think Prince was. You can't accuse accuse him of being commercial. He put out uh, pretty complicated music, and it wasn't easy to listen to all the time. Um, so I have no, that the, as my no- the ones that would be more radio friendly would have been uh, like "Let's Go Crazy." I believe was also in '84, and uh, "When Doves Cry." And boy, were those two songs all over the radio in '84. There was just so much. Like I said, that's my theme: is the the, the radio was so crowded in '84. So then I'm going to take, you know, the album 1984, I'm going to take Panama, I think, is from Van Halen. That's the song I, I've got as an 84 that somebody should know about. I'm, I'm going to put Come On, Feel the Noise by Quiet Riot just because it's kind of a a commercial heavy metal hair band, which, you know, the, you got to have that in 84. You have to have a hair band group. Um, I'm putting Runaway by John Bon Jovi because that's my favorite Bon Jovi song. Um, and then, like I said, I'm going to, I'm going to put the replacements. One thing I always think about when we talked about how Prince, a big Prince was to Minneapolis and then, you know, they started calling it the Minneapolis sound is that if each state would have like the old NBA jam where you'd have two players from an NBA team, right. And you'd play. So if, if you had a music one of that for every state, what two would Minnesota send? And it's pretty obvious it would have to be Prince and Bob Dylan. And I think that'd be a pretty strong team. Yes, and they're uh, both eclectic people, uh, <laughs> both kind of not commercial friendly music either. So that's, um, so uh, that's how I always kind of draw those two together. So, the, um, I will dare is the song by the replacements. Just a, I'll play a snippet here, just a song. The the thing about the, we'll do a thing on the replacements later. They started out as a heavy garage band, kind of hard to listen to. And then towards the end, Paul Westerberg started taking control of the group, and they started becoming almost too bubblegummy, almost too commercialized. But when you get to this 1984 album, and they just re-released their 1985 album, Tim, those two albums were, were in the middle as they were going from you know the hardcore garage to the bubblegum music. It kind of catches them right in the middle, right in the sweet spot. And those are always considered, all their albums are great, but those are considered their two best. And then, I'm sorry, Brian, I'll get to you. I'm just so excited about 1984 music here. I'm going to get to you in one second. I have a couple um, honorable mentions just because there's so much music. Um, like a Virgin is a song we should, you know, of course, that was all over the radio. And that's when everyone was like, is it Madonna or is it Cindy Lauper? Because she had girls just want to have fun. And Time After Time, which is, I think, is almost a better song. And then we had, you know, spin, You Spin Me Round was a big song. And, um, and The Warrior by Scandal. So, I mean, and there's just too many songs to name from 1984. So I'll just shut up now, Brian, and throw it over to you. What do you have? No, by all means, um, you're, you're the, you're going to be the one that people are going to have to listen to and be more, uh, uh, in tune with, um, for 1984 music. I've backed out of the 1984. I found some, uh, some, I could call it redneck friends and got kind of deep into that outlaw country, but it was before like Steve Earle's stuff came out. Um, so I think I hit my five where like all my rowdy friends as in a strong Hank, Hank, Hank Williams Jr. at that time. Uh, in retrospect, uh, Prince, I really did like When Doves Cry and, and Let's Go Crazy. Um, and then Willie Nelson did a, a cover of Steve Goodman's City of New Orleans um, on, on his album that year and being a big Willie Nelson fan that always any any song from Willie Nelson stands out to me and him covering another songwriter is is great and then I think it was in released in 83 but a song that kind of for me carried over into 84 was David Allen Coe's um, The Ride and I didn't know it at the time but 
the guitar on there was a very young Warren Haynes who went to um, kind of be really vital to the re- rebirth of the Almond Brothers in 1989. Uh, and then his own uh, band, Government Mule, which is one of those power trio bands for... I would say it's my favorite new band, but they've been around since 1994. Um, so that shows how, how I'm stuck. I'm stuck in the 70s, so you're the expert mm-hmm. for the 80s. Um, I I just... And I just, when my wife's listening, and she's dancing along to the, we're listening to the 84 stuff, and it's like Billy Idol comes on and stuff like that, and it's just, and I'm just, I'm lost because I was, I was not cool and popular and hip and with it now, like uh, like you were, and like my, my darling wife was, but um, I was just a, a backwards hick listening to country music in 84. No, that's okay. that's okay, Brian. Yeah, I, I like how you picked a lot of songs that weren't on the charts. And I'm looking at the top 100 chart here, and um, I'm just going deep into the chart. So I just pulled up. So at number nine, 28 was 99 Luff Balloons by Nina. That only made it to number 28. Then we got Steve Perry's big um, solo effort, Oh Sherry. That only made it to 31. Um, you know, we got Lionel Richie again with Stuck on You at 32. Madonna's got Borderline, which I think might be my favorite Madonna song. It, it only made it to 35. Cindy Lauper has She Bop, which might be my favorite Cindy Lauper song, only made it to 34. <laughs> and then um, Eurythmics has Here Comes the Rain Again, only got to number 38. Uh, Sunglasses at Night only got to, by Corey Hart, only got to 36. So I'm and I'm deep in the list here. The Warrior by Scandal that I mentioned only got to 46. Um, so it's just. It, 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 84. I don't know what was in the water in 84. I see at 50 uh, to all the girls I've loved before by Julio Iglesias and Willie Nelson. Okay, there's so there'd be on, that's on my list. Like I talked about that one earlier. So, okay, so I got to the 50th. This is the most popular song that year. Something that I would listen to. <laughs> and then 51 is Billy Ocean, Caribbean Queen, No More Love on the Run. I mean, that only made it to 51. So, I mean, I, we we, we got to We're gonna obviously have to do another show on 84 music. There's just too much to cover here. Let's. Uh, I'm starting to feel. Sorry for 74. Why don't you go us and lead us into what kind of well, songs well, did you like? I was, was going to say to our fans, go to the Facebook page or use the speak pipe um, and uh, either either agree with Mike or, or give him some uh, a, a fair argument. Is 1984 the best year in music for the for the 80s? We'll look forward to hearing your feedback on that. Um, 1974. So we were kind of in. We we really hit 1973 hard when we had uh alan paul on as a guest uh, he wrote a book about the allman brothers album that came out in 1973 and we had him on for, for an episode and so 1974 was kind of the start of the rise of that that southern rock stuff because the um leonard skinner's second album came out uh with and it had sweet home alabama would have been the most well-known song off of that album that's up there and then we've we talked about jimmy buffett after he passed uh and his come monday his first first hit came out that year i don't know how high it got in the billboard charts but it really kind of started the jimmy buffett buffett thing um one of my favorite songs from that year is the doobie brothers blackwaters my favorite doobie brothers song and that came out in 74 and then dolly parton with i think you said it might be one of your favorite dolly parton songs was strong with jolene that year wow. and then we can't talk about 1974 without talking about um the streaking phase and Ray Stevens had a had a song called the, the Streak, which I loved as a kid. And then I also loved that 
My favorite story about streaking is that uh, Yogi Berra had taken his son to the ball game, and there were some streakers, and his wife asked, well, Yogi, were they men or women that streaked? And he's like, I don't know. They had bags over their heads. Hmm. That's, yeah, that's that's, that's Yogi Bearism if I ever heard one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you have thoughts on then the 1974 music um, and how it pales in comparison to, to the powerhouses that made 1984 one of the best uh, years in music? I don't think 74 was a bad year of music. I think it was a, a pretty typical year of music. I mean, just 84 had all the, the firepower. When I think 74, I was kind of looking through the list, and, you know, I'm a big singer. I know you like that Southern rock. I'm a big singer-songwriter guy. And for me, um, so the songs I picked are all singer-songwriter songs I got. And But listen to these singer-songwriter songs. So we already talked about them, you know, passing away in 2023. I got Sundown for Gordon Lightfoot. You know, we, we told the little story about that song. I encourage everybody, you've heard that song before a million times, but go back and listen to it. I think it's an absolute masterpiece, his voice on it, the production on it. So that's kind of a singer-songwriter song. And then I got um, Piano Man by Billy Joel, which might be his biggest hit ever. That's, of course, singer-songwriter. And then Cats in the Cradle by Harry Chapman. Everybody knows that song. Uh, you know, it, it got played to death because it was a great song. And then um, an, an artist we haven't really talked about much on this, but I love him, is uh, Bob Marley, and he had No Woman, No Cry that year. So that's just a, a, you know another amazing song. Oh, and then I didn't mention The Joker by Steve Miller. So this is kind of when Steve Miller kind of kicks off, and he's the most 70s artist, sounding artist I think there is. That could so, be. You know, the 70s did kind of have that. When you look look back at it, there's two thoughts to it. The 70s was kind of that hard partying, you know, the southern rock kind of thing before, you know, smoking wasn't banned, so people could smoke indoors and all this kind of thing. But also there's the mellow 70s with these singer-songwriters and the songs uh, and, like, Cats in the Cradle or, or these more contemplative, reflective, um, deeper songs. So you brought up an interesting point there. What's that? Well, that, that it was kind of that, that that was the strength of the mellow 70s and the singer-songwriters as kind of that was its, you know, probably one of the strongest eras of the singer-songwriter where you're having the, the ones you mentioned. And, and I think Jim Croce had might have had a song in 74. Yeah, it's uh, your streak. I didn't realize that went up to a number eight by Ray Stevens, the streak. Wow. I I've. I barely, I like that song. I barely remember it. I can't believe it's all the way up at number eight there. That's that's pretty crazy. Well, 70s were a different time. It was a different time. We're not talking much about the funk sound. Um, you know, Jungle Boogie by Cool and the Gang, and most people will recognize that now as the, the theme song of Pulp Fiction, kind of the first song that kicks off Pulp Fiction. Um, kind of that funk song was going on. Jim Croce, Time in a Bottle, is really uh, not a funk song, of course, but that's kind of that singer-songwriter uh, John Denver with the Annie song. Those songs are at number 24 and 25. Um, so it's all singer-songwriter. The number one song, this is one I don't like, Barbara Streisand, The Way We Were. I mean, I guess that's a classic song. Um, I don't think 70s when I hear that song. I almost think, almost hear like, I almost hear 60s in it. But Yeah, was that from a movie? 
I think it was from the way they were. Was that a movie? I, I think the that songs could were. Be, and I think like maybe Robert Redford was in it. For the way we were. Yeah, I think the song is bigger than the movie, perhaps. Um, well, yeah, the funk, the funk with uh, um, heavy with the bass and and instrumentation. Uh, really, what Dilla was taking off in the in the 70s, I think it kind of paved the way that once more electronic instruments came in, it kind of paved the way towards the disco, more disco era, and yeah. hip hop stuff of the of the, the later 70s. It kind of blossomed into other things. Yeah, that's funny. We're completely missing disco here because we started out in 74, which is too early for disco. And then, of course, 84 is much too late for disco. So we're kind of <laughs> circumferencing it. Uh, I see we have Dancing Machine by the Jackson 5 is an, at number five. That's kind of a pre-disco song, yeah. As I was say, we might have to take a, a three-year uh, break from doing this when we get to later on when we're reviewing, like, you know, 77, 78, 79. We already talked oh, about that- it a little bit. I know. I, and you're more of a disco fan because I know that you like the Bee Gees and, and like, the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack. Serious uh, music guys like you hate disco. Um, and I can see your point to why you hate it so much. I, I, I'm not in the school. I, I think it's fun. I think sometimes fun music is... Is perfectly acceptable. You got to have different genres of music. So, I, I find it as being a fun music, and I, I think that BG's, you know, the Saturday Night uh, Fever album is just. I, I think that's you can listen to every track all the way through. Um, so that kind of thing. But we, um, looking on the list here for '74, we had the Entertainer, which was uh, instrumental. So '74 was really just a different year. It was just um, really a bunch of Cat Stevens, a bunch of. Uh, well, I, I think our the music industry and the and the way we were consuming music and was changing because FM radio was just kind of coming into its own, and so you'd have the more traditional stations that would play like an instrumental. By, the Entertainer is a fantastic piano piece, if, if it's the one I'm thinking about, um, and I think that was also featured in the movie The Sting, which would also I think came out in '74 or around that time, maybe '73. I know we're going to talk about 74 movies in our, our time machine preview of the years that were 15, 40 years ago as we're looking, you know, 2024 in the face. Definitely. So that, yeah, the, and, you know, that's back when we still had original uh, song. You know, that's the great thing about the 70s is they still had the original. The movies would have the songs that were originals as opposed to today where they just drop in a song you already know or have an artist, you know, have, write a song that has nothing to do with the movie so much and stuff um so now uh, brian we actually had our first uh voicemail here um so we, i'm checking the answer machine so since we talked about them let's play a little snippet from the replacements here a little answering machine which might be my favorite replacement song and oh by the way it came out in 1984 this song so let's check the answering machine here Again, everybody, you can always call into our answer machine. I put the speak pipe link on all our show notes. What you do is go to show notes. You just click on it. Just talk into your phone. You know, you can call and tell us everything. Tell us you disagree with us. Tell us we're idiots or tell us something that you want us to have covered that we never covered before. So what I have here is I have Gasper, and he was actually been on the show before. He was on the uh the Top Gun versus Maverick episode. That was a great episode. That's the first time we did like a modern movie, but we were comparing it to an 80s movie. 
And he's on a little podcast, a free podcast that you can hear on the same called the Hood Rat Recap. It's about a group called the Hold Steady, which I've never talked about on here, but I follow them around the country. They're kind of an indie group from the 2000s that uh, they they bring back, uh, you know, speaking of this music, they, they they sound like the band. They sound like Thin Lizzy. They sound like Springsteen. And, and the replacements, again, are, are, are a big influence on them. So we put the call out for you guys to give us what songs you like from 74 and 84, and here's what Gasper had to say here. Hey, 70s versus the 80s podcast. I heard Brian and Mike put out the call for favorite songs for 1974 and 1984, so I thought I'd throw my two cents in. This is Gasper from Queens, New York. My 1974 pick is Jethro Tull's Bungle in the Jungle. I've always thought that was one of their more fun songs that they've put out. The 1984 pick, um, I know the obvious uh, choice is probably something off the Van Halen 84 album, but my favorite from that era is Genesis, uh, That's All. I'm not a terribly big Genesis fan, but that's always been one of my favorite songs from that year. Um, I think mostly because I saw it a lot on a uh, a Friday night jukebox video show that I used to play when I was a kid. But uh, thanks for asking the question. Uh, Take care, guys. Bye. Yeah, that's I'd forgotten about Jethro Tull and uh, J- Jungle Boogie or not um, Bungle in the Jungle. Jethro Tull's Jungle in the Bungle. I know there's one Jethro Tull song that when you're driving when you got it up in your uh, in your car and you're you're driving along that it makes it sound like your speakers are going bad, but it's just it's just the, <laughs> the way the song plays. Might be locomotive breath. Yeah, that's pretty. They used to do good stuff on your speakers left to right back then. And then for his '84 selection, we didn't even mention him. Genesis, a little a little band with a little a favorite of ours. Phil Collins was the lead singer, so this was pre Phil Collins. Yeah, you know we mentioned him almost every episode. So I, uh, that just further shows how much 1984 was just uh, uh Yeah, if Genesis is overlooked, Genesis is overlooked. Yeah, and he. So they have a ton of songs too that you forget about and most people think they're Phil Collins songs because Phil Collins is singing on them so that's I get those two mixed up all the time alright so do we have that's kind of our 74 versus 84 did you have any final thoughts um, Brian I mean I know we were 84 heavy that doesn't uh, you know 74 had some great singer songwriter songs for me I know it had a lot of the southern rock for you uh, do you have any final thoughts on 74 versus 84 in music yeah, the seventies were, were that was the beginning of, of Southern Rock and we kinda of coming to the end of the of protest songs as Vietnam was winding down and a lot of the singer songwriters and you know, some some deep songs, Cats in the Cradle and Time in a Bottle. Go back and listen to those and uh, be prepared to cry in your beer. Uh, eighty four, <laughs> it's a fantastic a fantastic um, music year. Even I can look back I, begrudgingly, like, you know, sometimes when you're a fan of one team but there's another player on another team that's really really good you got to begrudgingly give them their give them their due so as a as a southern rock jazz um you know love instrumentals and not a hair band not a not a disco not a uh, power pop kind of person i have to tip my hat to 1984 it was a fantastic music year So there it is, folks. So it looks like in the battle of 1974 music versus 1984 music, I guess we decided the MTV generation 
beat the Southern rock singer-songwriter generation of 1974. But that's all right. 1974 can still get back into it because all through the month of January here, we are doing 1974 versus 84. So we still have 1974 TV versus 84 TV, 74 movies versus 1984 movies. Uh, we have 74 fashion versus 84 fashion. Maybe we'll figure it out. We might have a best uh, 74 fondue versus 84 uh, buffet. We'll figure it out. We got it. So for all those answers and more, just make sure you keep joining us here. And thank you for joining us on the 70s versus the 80s. Keep it classy, my fellow babies. Yeah. 